Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Good to see you. I'm Monty Judah with Line of Land Ministries. I want to welcome you to our Arab Shabbat broadcast here at B'nai Shalom. I have a couple of quick announcements for you before we get underway and have Kiddush in our service. Um, I, I need all of you now to mark your calendars because after this Shabbat, we're going to be going into the fall holidays. The high holidays uh, are beginning here very shortly, and we will be holding broadcasts for the Feast of Trumpets and for the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. We, of course, will be out at our campground for the Feast of Tabernacles, but I have some exciting stuff to share with you about that as well. But I want to remind everybody that our uh, Yom Teruah, Feast of Trumpets service, some people call Rosh Hashanah, will be this coming Thursday evening, September 21st at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. Come to the broadcast just like you would for a uh, Arab Shabbat service, and you can join us in our service for Yom Teruah and the blowing of the shofar. Uh, and then again, uh, we also will have the Kol Nidre service. This is the one called the All Vows service, which is uh, on the air of Yom Kippur. And that will be Saturday, September 30th, uh, 7.30 p.m. So mark your calendar, September 21st, Feast of Trumpets, September 30th for Yom Kippur. Uh, Looking into the future, we are sponsoring a Hanukkah conference. This will be in December. In fact, uh, market calendar December 15th through the 17th. Uh, as you know, Hanukkah is many days, uh, but we're going to take a few of those days and do a conference at the time. Come join with us, bring your Hanukkah, and uh, it'll be hosted by Hebraic Family Fellowship, which is the local congregation here. And registration is open and available for that. So be planning now for the holidays in advance. For those of you who are already registered to come to the Feast of Tabernacles, I want to remind you that you're going to be getting an email statement from us. It's from the email address events at lionlamb.net, and it includes your confirmation packet. Uh, by collecting it off of that as opposed to us mailing it, we're saving some costs and expense. So don't ignore that email. Make sure you read that and download so you can get your confirmation packet and those materials. We're also excited to, uh, to be able to offer to those of you who are unable to attend the Feast of Tabernacles with us here in Oklahoma to watch some of the sessions, the main teaching sessions at our camp. You can go to tabernaclesevent.com that website and for a donation of any amount you can click on the watch link during Sukkot and you'll be able to watch and we'll post a uh, thing on that will tell you what times those are available for you so that you can see some of the main teaching programs that will be done uh, there at the feast. Uh, now we would prefer you to be able to come and join us at the camp and physically be with us uh, to eat the feast with us but we understand there are times when you're not able to get free and but this is a way that you can still join in uh, with us as you all know uh, when it comes to these feasts you know the Torah requires us to make pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem well we don't have a temple we don't have the priest being able to conduct it so we are doing what the scripture talks about us being scattered in the nations that we're returning to the Lord with all of our heart. 
and that there will be a day come that he'll bring us back, and we're demonstrating to the Lord that we're willing to obey these commandments so when he reestablishes Jerusalem and, and the temple, that we'll be able to come and worship him there. We're showing him that we have the heart to leave the nations. Now, that's very key in how we observe the feasts and the holidays. Let me remind you also of this. Now, it's going to... I'm not trying to get preachy. I just need to make sure you understand. Um, some of you tithe. Some of you regularly give to, to the Lord. I learned this lesson a long, long time ago, that no matter what your financial situation is, if you'll give the 10% to the Lord, just set it up for the Lord, you will never be in need. I know that sounds crazy. But it is true. You'll never be in need. And by the way, you'll have the funds to come and make an offering to the Lord at these events. You'll have the funds to be able to travel and come and join us for the Feast of Tabernacles. I, I know a lot of you don't believe that, but it is that's how the faith works. And uh, early on in my life, I learned to take that 10% set aside. We called it the Lord's account. And things that were needed to do and observe our faith, we always had the monies uh, to do so. I encourage you, seriously, you want to have a, a better life, you want to have some peace in your life, you, you want to have your needs being met, follow what the Lord says. He's got a kind of an economic plan for you that works. And take that first fruits of your labor, give it to the Lord. And the Lord will use that to help you in times of need for you, as well as in the public worship. And you can come and be a part of these things, too. I really would love to have all of you coming and being a part of this. It would make our fellowship better, your fellowship better. And I encourage you that. So maybe you weren't able to do it this year. Well, commit yourself to next year. Change your whole approach about how you do it. You know, Ephraim is going to be teaching about Nitzavim, and he's going to be teaching about doing the commandments as opposed to just talking about them or observing them or whatever. And he has a great lesson for us on this. All right. Shabbat Shalom, and let's go to Kiddush. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Please join our family as we welcome in the Sabbath. Not this time. It's a smoky. Okay, you ready? Ready? Help me. Ready? Okay. O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments and has commanded us to be a light to the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. Kiddush, the blessing over the cup. Baruch atah Eloheinu melech haolam. 
Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Hamotzi, blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it's all right. Now for the blessing of our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day, and I thank you for the wife that you've given me. I pray that you would bless her, even in the middle of the night when she sees about the ways of the household. I pray that you would bless her and encourage her as she teaches and educates the children. I thank you for the blessing that she is to me and to our home and to our family. And I pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her. Give her the product of her hands in everything that she does. And Father, I confess to her and to you that I love my wife. So Father, I pray that you would bless her with your very best blessing on this Sabbath day. We also lift up the widows and orphans, those without a husband or a father at this time as well. So we thank you, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Let us bless our sons. Cause his face to shine upon you. 
way he lift up his countenance and grants you peace. May you be like Ruth and like Esther. May the Lord with you ever be. May he bring you home unto the land prepared for thee. bless you and grant you long life. May God make you good mothers and May he bring you husbands who will care for you. May the Lord protect and defend you. May his spirit fill you with grace. May our family grow in happiness, so hear our Sabbath prayer. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Baruch Adonai Hamvorach Le'olam Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Micha Mocha. Micha Mocha Ba'elim Adonai Micha Mocha Nedahar Bachodesh Nohorat Echilot Blessing of the Messiah. Baruch Atarunai, Elohim Melech Alam, Asher Natan Lanu et Derech, Hayashua Bamashiach Yeshua. All together. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru Vene Israel et Hashabat, Lasot et Hashabat, Ladortam, Barit Olam. Bene Avayom, Bene Israel, Orhit Leolam, Keshashet Yamim, Asadonai, Et Hashemayim, Vayet Haaretz, Avayom Hashemayi, Shabbat, Vayinafash. All together. The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. We all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. 
Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuto, Leolam Vayed, Yeshua HaMashiach, Hu Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Ochecha, b'chol levavka u'v'chol nashicha, u'v'chol me'odecha. Ve'heyu ha'devarim ha'ale asher nechim e'zavka, ha'yom alevavcha. Vashinantam lavanecha, v'tepardabam peshivtecha, v'yetecha, u'v'lechtecha, v'erechu shakpika, u'v'kumika. Ukeshatam la oto yadecha, v'heyu latotvo b'inenecha, u'chetatam amazuzo petecha, u'vishorecha. All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. Shalom.
Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us this Shabbat and who has called us to this place to praise his name. O Holy One of Israel, blessed are you, whose kingdom is forever and ever. We honor you in this place. We lift your name high. We dance before you. For you are holy. You are Kadosh. Shabbat Shalom. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, to chapter 29. Hold your finger at verse 10 for our Torah portion this week. As you are opening the scripture, let me do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Barchabanu Mekol HaAmim Venatan Lanu Et Torato Baruch Adonai Nonten HaTorah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion for this week is entitled Nitzavim, which means standing. It comes from that first phrase in verse 10 of chapter 29 where it says, All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders, your officers, all the men of Israel. As we go through the Torah cycle, as we are now coming to the end of our Torah cycle for this year, we're on the last couple of portions here for Deuteronomy. As we go through and we teach, what I always endeavor to do and what many Torah teachers endeavor to do is to teach you the spiritual application of what is being told there. We have so many commandments back in Leviticus talking about what the priests were to do, and we have then the entire book of Deuteronomy where Moses is talking to the children of Israel before entering into the promised land. And sometimes in the scripture we're telling, we're retelling a story of old, and then what we have to do is we have to try and teach and instruct what is the application for your life, your personal life today, what can you take from that scripture, from that story, from that commandment, and how do you apply that in your own life? We go through the entire Torah cycle with that's really the goal in mind when we're teaching these words, and we know the word of the Lord is powerful, it's alive. Um, God has the, if he has the ability to declare the ends from the beginning with his word, then what he can do is he can tell and speak something in the past, and it speaks into the future, and is just as true and applicable and as right today as it was then. What's very interesting about our portion this week is this, is that it actually, it doesn't take any effort for you to take the application to your life, and I'll tell you why. Because Moses and his words that he's speaking in this Torah portion are to us, to me, to you, today. He is speaking, and Moses being one of the most, the greatest prophets of the Lord, he is speaking directly to us. There's nothing that I have to say that's saying, hey, this is, uh, this is how you apply this commandment in your life. No, the words that are here in our portion, which is very short here, it goes through the rest of chapter 29 and to chapter 30. This is normally done in a double portion. For this year, we've separated the uh, Torah portions. Um, next week is where we will do Vayelech. But this portion right here, so it's very short. However, these words of this portion are directed right toward us. You and me sitting here in the 21st century, these words are for us. 
then so as we go and as we read these things are very important for us to learn us to take heart that God, Moses is speaking even beyond would the children of Israel that were there in ancient times and they are he's directed straight toward us let me now continue reading here and this is uh, like I said Moses is still talking to the children of Israel so let us now hear these words that he's speaking to to the children of Israel he said he's there all the children of Israel all of the sons of Israel the leaders the elders the officers all the men of Israel are there it also says here verse 11 your little ones and your wives also the stranger who is in your camp from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath which the Lord your God makes with you today that he may establish you today as a people for himself and that he may be God to you just as he has spoken to you and just as he has sworn to your fathers to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob whenever the scripture says hey I'm speaking to all of you one might think that that person is speaking to the immediate people that's in front of them that they can hear his voice the fact that our scripture goes into the detail to your wives your little ones the one who cuts your wood the one who draws your water is there any question as to who this covenant is being made with it's being made with everyone this is not just something exclusive this isn't a time in which Moses gathered the leaders and spoke to all the leaders of the heads of the tribes of Israel and said these things no everyone was gathered here this oath this covenant is being made with everyone there is no exception there is no excuse that someone might say well this covenant's not for me or God was speaking to the children of Israel and it's like well I'm not really a natural born per, uh, citizen of Israel so that commandment is not for me sometimes the scripture says yes this is who was being spoken to tell Aaron and his sons this is a commandment for the Levites but in this case it is not there is no distinction between one group or another this covenant is for everyone also something interesting, and this is a theme throughout this Torah portion here. Whenever you see today, the word today, or as it is this day, or in, to this day, if you ever see that in scripture, because the word of God is alive, it's powerful, it exists outside of time, anytime you read that, you should take to heart that that means for you in the day you are reading that scripture, that doesn't happen, doesn't matter if it's next Saturday, it doesn't matter if it happened a month ago, when you read the word today, it's a rule of thumb, let that penetrate you on the day that you read it. And that is a theme that is throughout our Torah portion here. So when you see that word today, or as it is this day, let that penetrate you at the time that you read that commandment. Now, this is what he goes, the, the next verse, the next step forward. This is where it gets really interesting. Verse 14, I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone. Okay, so he just was talking about the entire children of Israel and the entire camp of Israel and now anyone who was there, but he's not making it with you alone, but with him who stands here today before the Lord your God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. Well, who could that be? Well, that is pretty much everyone else. Everyone else that was there at that time alive. It also, that phrase includes us today, even those that weren't born. This covenant is being made with the descendants of even those who, who heard those words from Moses before entering into the land. It's the same thing as in our country when we established a constitution and a declaration of independence and a covenant or a uh, statement or was being made that that 
actions that our forefathers took in the country of the United States of America penetrated into the future and meant all of those things for us today. All of their sons, all of their children were also going to be independent from Great Britain when we gave the Declaration of Independence. This thing, it is a statement, a making of a covenant that exists outside of time. It encompasses everyone. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are those that heard the words from Moses and there was those people that didn't hear the words from Moses. And that includes us. And that's what I mean by this portion being directed completely toward us. So as we now continue with the rest of the words, what is it that we are to hear and we are to know and understand from the words of Moses? Let me skip ahead to verse 18. So that there may not be among you a man, a woman, or family, or tribe whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and serve other gods and these nations. And that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. Verse 19. And so that it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. It's, this is to everyone so that there is not even amongst the congregation, the fellowship, the families of all the people that there is not one who stands up with bitterness or with that separates themselves from this covenant this covenant being made with israel is to be a blessing through abraham's seed may all the families of the earth be blessed and that this covenant is so that is not there's not one person among them that turns away that serves other gods that god of abraham isaac and jacob the god of israel is the only god in which we serve the way that those three phrases come out is very interesting. I like that how there's three different levels that one separates themselves. The first one says, so it may not be among you a man, woman, who turns to other gods. There may not be one person who commits idolatry. And then it says, there may not be among you a root of bitterness. That there may not be one person who is bitter. There's several different levels. This third level here, and so it may not happen when one hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart. That is one of the gravest things that one of us can do is to think that we have earned something for ourselves and that they bless themselves. The blessing only comes from one person, and that's from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the only place where we receive the true blessings of this covenant. One cannot simply walk and say that it's like, oh, the Lord will bless me no matter what. I can do whatever I'd like, and the Lord will bless me. Or it's like oh, the one phrase that some people say sometimes, it's like, well, the Lord knows my heart. The only time somebody says that phrase is when somebody wants to basically do whatever they want. Well, the Lord knows my heart, so I can do this this way if I so choose. Well, the problem is, is our heart tends to follow after other things. The heart of man is is a bad thing that leads us to sin against the Lord. We have to turn, we have to humble ourselves to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's through him we have to know and learn and understand his heart in what he desires for us to do. More on that later. There's a very interesting phrase here in the Hebrew that I, in my uh, translation, my New King James, where it says at the end of that uh, verse, it says, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. Unfortunately, that's not the most accurate translation. Many others uh, might say something as to that, uh, that the watered, the, literally what it means is that the watered could be in 
with the thirsty or in order to destroy the watered with the thirsty is the literal translation of that Hebrew phrase. Very interesting there, if you were to look in the Hebrew, that very last phrase, watered with the thirsty, is a Hebrew phrase called Rave et Hatsameh, which is an interesting phrase where it says Rave, which means watered, only appears several times in Scripture. One of them is in Isaiah 58 where it talks about if you do a the correct fast before the Lord, that you would be like a watered garden, that your blessings would be poured out if that was to be, um, if you're to do a proper fast, then to be a watered garden, one could think that that's just one of the most pleasant things of a growing garden that is watered, that's nourished, that's taken care of. And that this is, what this is saying is if one uh, digresses to the to the act of self-worship where somebody says that they're blessing themselves in their own heart what that result is that he destroys the watered with the thirsty the dry ground with the plentiful watered ground and uh, if you heard me when i said that phrase the word et the hebrew word et was there and that is we know in scripture is the aleph tav this appears in some fascinating areas of scripture including the very first uh, verse of the bible which we know and we through lots of study that yeshua who declared in the revelation that he is the aleph and the tav though alpha and omega is often there but we know a hebrew god was saying aleph tav when he says that he is the first and the last. And so that Hebrew word at the Olive Tav appears here at the end. That when somebody goes past those first two levels of there's levels of idolatry, levels of bitterness, but if you're to go all the way to the level of self worship and blessing oneself, then what you literally do is you destroy Yeshua's work. Who, what he did, he feeds the hungry, he gives water to the thirsty, that it's like the, the olive tav is there in that phrase where it's like the olive tav is there between those that are thirsty and those that have water, and that that's the work that he does is that he gives water to those who are thirsty, but when you become worship when you worship yourself and follow after your own heart, you destroy the very plan of God to help those who are in need. That's what you are doing when you digress to that level. And there's a little interesting teaching there within the Hebrew of that phrase. So what he goes on further is now a series of curses that goes upon the children of Israel. Let me now continue reading verse 20. The Lord would not spare him, for then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man. And every curse that is written in this book will settle on him. And the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. The Lord would separate him from all the tribes of Israel for, for adversity according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. So that the coming generation of your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes into the far land would say, when they see the plagues of the land and the sickness which the Lord has laid on it, the whole of the land is brimstone, salt and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does, it, it, does any grass grow there. Like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah and Admah and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. All the nations would say, why has the Lord done this to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? And the people would say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods which they did not know and that he had not given to them. 
Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land to bring them on it every curse that is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger, in wrath, and in great indignation, and cast them into the other, to another land as it is this day. This is a prophecy. Because we've, told, we've already said it many times before that this is what the children of Israel did when they entered into the promised land. They went and served other gods. They worshipped other gods and God cast them out. All of these judgments, the, all of the curses of this law that Moses has been sharing with the children of Israel, that is the history of Israel. That is what they did. That is what happened to them after they entered into the land. And then with this talking about the land being of brimstone and that no grass grows there. This is a prophecy that extends even into the 1800s, when before the Jewish people returned back to the land of Israel, the land of Israel, the modern state of Israel, was a desert. It was desolate. There was nothing that grew there, nothing, and it, in fact, what it looked like is a lot, many of, of the other Arab nations that are still in the Middle East today. You see any pictures of Afghanistan, Jordan, uh, Syria, many of them are desolate. They are a desert. They did, nothing grows in that place. Yet we, since 1948, since the children of Israel have been back to the land of Egypt, or back to the land of Israel, I'm sorry, that they, that land has become a flourishing garden, if you will. That they provide so many produce and flowers and everything grows there since the children of Israel had entered back into that land. When they're not there in that land, when they're cast out of that land, the place becomes desolate. Like a desert, like brimstone, nothing grows there. We have that testimony. There's a, an amazing book that you can find uh, that shows all the pictures of the land of Israel before 1948. And it is just a wasteland, if you will. And the famous author, Mark Twain, he wrote of the, the uh, land of Israel at that time, too, that it's like, this is not a promised land. This is just, it's an absolute desert and wasteland. And that's the prophecy here, is that the people will say, what happened to this land? And then what will go is if you've read the story, if you know the scripture, you go and say it's because the children of Israel rejected the covenant that God made with them. And they were cast out into all the land. And then that phrase ended there, as it is this day. That's where we are today. There are still the people of, the, of Israel, descendants of Israel, that have not returned back to the land. And that they were all cast out to other nations, worshiping gods they didn't know. Today, if you want to talk about idolatry today and things that we turn our focus and our attention to, whether it be technology or science and that people, uh, certain things, people's smartphones have become their God, that they basically, we have idolatry that has run rampant with whatever anybody chooses. I guarantee you those are gods that these people did not know. That the children of Israel in ancient times did not know what we would have today and all the things that can distract us and lead us astray and all those different idols that we can have in our lives, those were foreign to those people. Now, as it says here on that last phrase, as it is this day, and it says there's great with great indignation, he cast them into another land. This is a very uh, this is a curse that's here in the Torah portion here in the scripture that's saying these are all the bad things that are going to happen. But hidden in the Hebrew in that verse is an amazing prophecy. And let me show it to you. There is uh, that Hebrew word there that's therefore cast them into another land. Um, is a Hebrew word here that is um, vash, vashlechem. 
Veshlechem, which means uh, the Hebrew root word of that is shalach, which means to go or to send or to cast them out, shalach. In the middle of that word, in the Hebrew, there is a lamed. And in the, if you were to have a kosher scroll opened up, if we were to open this Torah scroll and go to that phrase, that lamed is drawn large, very large in the middle of that word. And it stands out that there is a lamed here in the middle at the end of this curse. Well, what does that mean? Well, as we've gone through and talked about different meanings of, of Hebrew letters, that lamed is, means a shepherd's staff. Or sometimes it's an ox goad. And what it is, is um, in Judaism, some rabbis have speculated, oh, well, this had to do with the, um, the, since it was an ox goad, it had to do with the idolatry of the worshiping of a calf that, that led them, that caused them to be cast out. However, for those of us that are messianic, anytime we hear the word shepherd, it tends to make us remember something, a good thing. In fact, it tends to cause us to remember the good shepherd. That it's like all of these people, all of Israel was cast into the nations. Well, how are we going to bring them back? How is that ever going to happen? Well, what it takes is it takes a shepherd to go after the lost sheep and to bring them back. That is the great work of what God is doing. That great work of restoration to bring the people back to the land. That is what God's desire is. And hidden in the Hebrew here is the prophecy of how that's going to take place. And we know Yeshua the Messiah, what did he say? What was his reason for being? Is to go after the lost sheep of Israel. To lead, bring them back. That's all what the prophecy is in Jeremiah and what the work of the Lord when he sends the disciples out. When Yeshua sent his disciples to be fishers of men, to go and fish for those, the lost house of Israel. That, that prophecy begins here and is hidden even in with this judgment that he's going to cast them out. That, However, God always remembers his covenant and he is going to shepherd them back as well. That he is the good shepherd who is going to, who will not forget his covenant. This very last verse here of chapter 29 is always one of the most fascinating ones. It reads this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. That phrase kind of sticks out, because it seems like that doesn't really, it doesn't really fit with the narrative of the Torah portion, and it's just tacked in there at the end. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. Well... If there's things that are yet to be revealed, if the Lord has so many uh, good works and things that are planned, if those are not yet revealed, they belong to the Lord. We can't find them. We can't see them. We don't know where they are. But then when things are revealed before us, when our eyes are opened to the amazing power and the miracles of God in his teaching, in his instruction, then those things are to our benefit. They belong to us and that we can share that what we, which we learned to our children. And those things now belong to us. I just revealed it in the previous verse where it says that there is a lamed that is enlarged. There is a good shepherd that will return back, that will bring back all the house of Israel. And that's what God's desire is. Now that that's been revealed of what that lamed means, then that now belongs to, to us and to our sons forever today as it is this day. That can be an encouragement to us in our walk and in our belief. Now, there's many still things to find in the scripture, hidden messages and, and secrets that the Lord knows, that only in his knowledge he knows. But then when things are revealed about his heart, his passion, what he desires for us, then those things are to our benefit and for
for our edification. There's also another jot and tittle here in this verse where there's dots that are over the phrase where it says, to our children forever. My father's taught many times over on the jots and tittles of Moses that all of these things, are there are secret things hidden within the scripture that are to encourage us and to strengthen us as we go through our study. So let us now continue on with the last half of our Torah portion here. What is it that God is doing? After we've been cast into the nations, again, like I said, these words are for us today, here, modern times. Let us now hear these words that we are to listen and to follow after. Now it shall come to pass. When all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, we can see that. In the history of Israel, this has happened. And you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. Here we are sitting here, and we're recording this here in Oklahoma. And so where we've been driven, we're calling these things to mind right now. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today. You and your children, that includes my children, my three that are at home, that are with my wife right now, with all your heart and with all your soul, and the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you have driven to the farthest parts under heaven, including the other side of the world in relation to Israel, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you. He will multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, the heart of your descendants, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. That is the encouraging word for us today, here in Deuteronomy. That phrase where it talks about us needing our hearts circumcised, that's not a New Testament concept. That begins here in the Torah. It's listed here in Deuteronomy. It's also in Leviticus. These phrases that talk about how it's not, it's not about circumcision of the flesh. It's to circumcise your heart. It's for those words, the commandments of this law, to be written on our hearts, that it comes out of us naturally in everything that we say and do. It comes from our spirit. We have inside us the spirit of God that we don't, I don't have to read what what is right and wrong in a listing of commandments. I know what's right and wrong because those things are written on my heart. And when I mess up, I know I mess up because those laws and knowing what's right and wrong is written on my heart. These are teachings that we hear all the time during the day. During, through in uh, churches, sitting people sitting in church pews on Sunday morning, they hear these words. You have to circumcise your heart. But what they don't do is they don't take you back to Deuteronomy with what truly is happening here. God is looking to bring back His people for them to return back to the land. That is what He's doing. This is the greatest prophecy of what God is intending to do. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 32. And I want to show you something very interesting, that this is all the same theme. This theme is prevalent through many of our prophecies, that the whole goal of Yeshua to bring back the lost tribes of Israel, for God to have the children of Israel return back to the land. I want to show you this. Jeremiah chapter... 32. Here it is. Let's begin at verse 37. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries 
where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people. I will be their God. This is all the same phrasing. This is the same thing of what God is intending to do. Then I will give them one heart and in one way in which that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. That we will have one mindset, we will follow one one law, one way that the Lord has for us. And I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them and do them good, and I will surely plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul." This, ladies and gentlemen, here, verse 41 of chapter 32, is the only place in all of Scripture where God ever describes something that He's going to do with all of His heart and with all of His soul. He commands us to use all of our heart and all of our soul in a lot of things. To love Him with all our heart and with all our soul. To love our neighbor with, as ourself. And this is the one and only time in all of the Scripture where God has said, this is what His heart and His soul and His desire is. To bring the people back. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you today in the modern day where this is what God wants. This is what he wants us to do. He wants the children of Israel to return back to the land, to confess their iniquity, to make teshuvah, to make repentance that we have sinned, our fathers have sinned, and so that we might come back to the land. This is the greatest story ever told. This is what the plan of Scripture is. It begins here in the Torah. It continues on through the Messiah. And then it is exactly what he is desiring to do, that he will return us back to the land in the latter days. This is the very plan of God. This is it. And what any, anything else that we might discuss in our theology, in our teachings, in our scriptures, of anything that we might do, deeper studies and knowledge that we might learn, and we can do all the Hebrew studies of what the letters mean and, and, and what these commandments are, let us never lose focus on what is God's heart's desire to bring his people back to the land. Even though we've sinned, even though every curse has, has fallen upon us, that the entire story of all Torah, all of Scripture, and all of redemption and restoration have to do with his desire to bring his people, his chosen people, back to the land. This ties all the way back to the sin in the garden, where when Adam sinned and he, the ground was cursed because of his sin, and that it was the very land that was cursed because of the sin of Adam. And what happens is, is that the redemption, the restoration, the remembrance of the covenant that God has, that it goes all the way back to that sin and he will restore the people, Adam, humans, to the land, the ground, that which was cursed because of that sin. This is the connection that goes all the way back to the sin in the garden where the ground was cursed because of that sin. The Lord wants to bring his people back to that land, to that place. That he can then dwell, bring us into his presence and dwell in a garden with peace and with pleasantness. That's what he desires for us to do. Let us finish out reading our Torah portion. Verse 7, chapter 30. Also, Lord your God will put all the curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand. 
in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey his voice, the voice of the Lord your God, to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law. And if you turn to the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, he will increase the fruit of our womb, the, the, the fruit of our land, the fruit of our livestock. And then he will make abound all the work of our hand. Remember, going back to the garden, what does Adam have to do? He had to toil in the land. He had to toil in the soil to gain those things. But if we turn back to him, if we make repentance and teshuvah, then it says we will have all the fruit of all of that labor will return back to us. Verse 11. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us, bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the Lord is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. These commandments are not hard. Turning back to the Lord and doing what he says and obeying his voice, believing in him, his covenants, his promises. It's not hard. It's not hard to do. What's interesting about this, too, in our modern day is this, is that nor is it beyond the sea that somebody say who will go over to the sea and bring it to us. In our modern day, getting something over from across the sea isn't even hard to do that either. You can order something on and, uh, and UPS will ship it around the globe. You can pull up your phone and you can watch a live video of something that's taking place on the other side of the world. So not only is this saying that, oh, you might say that those things are too hard. Well, you better not be saying that today because those things aren't hard today either. It, it makes this, this teaching that the word of the Lord is so very near to you, so easy to access, so available to you, that even today, it's even silly for you to complain that it's uh, too far away, can't, can't reach it. That if it's up in the sky, we have airplanes flying over, uh, overhead all, all the time. Anything that's up too far in the clouds, that's not hard to reach either. The word of the Lord, these commandments, they are not hard to do. They are so immediate in our lives. They can be in your heart and what is in your heart comes out of your mouth. That is how near these words are today. That we might do the commandments of the Lord. Not just keep them. Uh, one of the things is every time we say that, oh, well, yeah, I, I keep the Torah or I keep the commandments. What's funny is that sometimes could always someone can always kind of uh, uh, manipulate the meaning of that word. And it's like, yeah, I, I keep them. I lock them in a box and, and I kind of set them aside. And, and so it's like, I know they're there. So, yeah, I keep the Torah. I keep it locked up in a box and I don't really ever open that box. Or somebody says that they're Torah observant and that we observe the, the Torah and the commandments. OK, well, you also observe a passing car. A car passes by, you acknowledge it and you observe, yes, a car just went by. So if you might look at the Torah and you might say, yeah, it's there. Well, you should always, one can manipulate any single one of these things where you say, oh yeah, I keep the law or I obey the covenant. The key that we have to do right there at the end of that verse is that you do the law. That it's written on your hearts, that it takes over your actions and what you do and what you say. And that we are doers of the law, not just keepers and observers. That is what we have to do when we take those things to heart, when those things are in our lives, in our spirit, in our heart, and in our soul. We are doers of the law. 
Let me continue. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, His judgments, that you may live and multiply. The Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away, so that you do not hear, and are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you will surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God that you may obey His voice, that you may cling to Him, for He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Today, the witness is being called to us. Here on this date, on this modern calendar, as you're listening to me and watching this teaching right now, heaven and earth is called as a witness today that God has set before us the choice. Blessing or curse. Life or death. The commandment, the choice, is very near to us. It's before us every day. Everything that we do, everything that we act and we think, that choice is available to us. The Heaven and earth are witnesses as you walk this earth that you have that choice from one day to the next. So today, what is your choice? Not tomorrow, not what choice your ancestors made or your father or your mother made years ago or how you ended up where you are today and whatever job you have, whatever house you are living in, whatever your goals and future plans are. We're not talking about those. We're talking about today that you choose what God has laid before you. Are we going to stand on the side of the Lord with his covenant, with his commandments? Are we going to do what he has said Or are we not? That is our choice on this day. And heaven and earth are the witness to that as to what our choice will be. So I encourage you, choose life. May we always speak life into those around us. May we always be encouraged by the words and scripture and the teachings and the commandments that God has given to us. And may we choose to do those. Nothing else As all the other things we can discuss and talk about, this is the matter in which there's the very heart and soul and the desire of God. And this is what he's asking us to do with all of our heart and with all of our soul to make that choice. So choose life. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this day. We thank you for your teaching and your instruction. And Father, I pray and I thank you, Lord, for having the power to speak life into us. At any point in time, Lord, your commandments, your words, your teachings, you yourself, Lord, exist outside of time. That one cannot make the excuse, Father, that this was written many years ago. One cannot make the excuse that the translation may have changed over the years, Father. But the words that you say and the words that we can read on this page, Father, speak to us and speak into us, into our lives in this moment, at this time, in this very second. That no one can make an excuse, Father, that something is too hard to do or that they didn't know or that they didn't hear the words or didn't know that they had a choice. For your word and your instruction tells us that is exactly what we have before us, Lord. It is not too hard. It is not a struggle or a challenge, Father. 
But it is very near to us in our hearts and in our souls. And all we have to do is make that choice. May we choose life. May we choose the blessing, Lord. May we choose to follow you doing your words and your commandments, Lord. To help those who are in need. To love our brother. To help those who are uh, hungry. To feed the ones who are hungry. To clothe those who are naked. To help those who are less fortunate, Father. Your covenant, your commandment extends to everyone. Not just one group of people. Not just one single people that are singled out that one can feel that they are not a part of, Lord. But no, your loving kindness extends to all generations, to all peoples, Father. Father, we love you, we bless you, we thank you. As we close out and come to the end of our Torah cycle this year, may we be strengthened, may we be uh, encouraged, Lord, in everything that we do, and may we always know and continue to follow after you, that you make your word new to us every day and every time that we read and we study. So we love you, we bless you, we thank you. On this day, we give all the honor, the glory, and the praise. It's in your Son, Yeshua, we pray. Amen. The blessing after the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu Torah temet v'chayelam nata betocheinu Baruch atah Adonai nontain ha-Torah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. If you would uh, turn in your Bibles now to uh, Isaiah chapter 61, and there at verse 10. Now, if you have a Hebrew Bible, you want to be turning to Isaiah chapter 62, verse 1. Uh, One of the differences between the Hebrew Bible and the normal Bible that we use uh, is they do a little subdivision here that's a little bit different. So for the rest of you, the normal Bible, uh, the, the Bible that we're most familiar with, is to go to chapter 61, verse 10, where the word says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. This is the seventh and last of what we call the Haftors of Consolation. For the previous six Sabbaths, we've been telling this sermon, we've been telling this story, uh, going through Isaiah, selecting certain passages. Of course, they're all talking about what the Jewish people refer to as the final redemption. And what our Torah portion has been talking about, especially when we come to Deuteronomy chapter 30, about how Moses, through the Lord, is promising to the future generations that God would call us back from all the nations where we had been uh, scattered. And so this sermon ties in with that and connects all of that together. We always teach this before we come to the fall holidays. Why? Well, it turns out, and you'll learn this, that the Feast of Trumpets is the sounding of the blast of the shofar, which is the great gathering of the saints. That Yom Kippur is God's promise that he gives that he will judge our enemies. And he'll put upon them the curses that they put upon us. And then finally in Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, that's when we're all gathered together, the Feast of Ingathering. And we now live with the Lord 
and he's in the city of Jerusalem ruling over all of us, and we're in the kingdom. So all of these themes, all of these future things, they all come tying together at the end of the year, and this last uh, portion is going to complete that story. Now, uh, let me take you back very briefly before we get into this portion. Let me take you back to, and let's review the key verses that we've been doing for the last six weeks that tells this great story. The first one, going back six weeks ago, uh, the first verse that we jumped on was Isaiah 40, verse 1, which said, Comfort, O comfort my people. So the first, you know, it's called the consolation of Israel, when you comfort Israel. So here's the Lord saying, comfort my people. The second portion was Isaiah 49, verse 14, which says, But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. And, of course, the Lord didn't forsake, and he hasn't forgotten. It's that the people got up and walked away from the Lord, and now that they're separated from God, they feel they have been forsaken and forgotten. The third portion came from Isaiah 54, verse 11, which says, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and your foundations I will lay in sapphires. The, uh, you know, there's a recognition that Israel scattered has been afflicted. God recognizes that. He recognizes that it's not been going well. And so he's like saying to them, look, I realize you've been in great difficulty, but, but I'm, this is what I'm going to be doing. I am going to be supporting you. I am going to lift you out of that. And rather than being moved from place to place to place, which is what when you're scattered, what happens to you? He says, I will set your stones in antimony, meaning I'm going to set them and they will never move again. That's essentially the promise that's given. Then the fourth portion came from Isaiah 51, verse 12, where the Lord emphatically says, I, even I, am the one who comforts you. The first command was to comfort the people. We see the reason why they need the comfort, and now he's boldly proclaiming, it is I that's going to comfort you. The fifth portion... Just two weeks ago, we read from Isaiah 54, verses 7 and 8, specifically where it says, For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kind, loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. There's a recognition again of that it looked like I wasn't uh, looking at you. I'd turned away from you, and that's true. For God's people to be taken out of the land and carried away by the enemies, that's only by the permission of God does that happen. That's only, it requires God to relent and allow it to happen. I want you to note that I hid my face for a moment. What that actually means is not so much that I've completely turned away from seeing you, but you don't see my smile anymore. And there was nothing pleasing to the Lord about his people being scattered and kicked out of the land. There was no smile on his face with regard to that. Part of the blessing that we give, the priestly blessing, is may the Lord uh, look upon you. May he smile when he sees you. And here's the thing which says, there was a time I didn't smile at you. 
uh, because of what was going on. Then last week, our portion was Isaiah 60, verse 1, which says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And that particular uh, passage out of Isaiah 60 is a very powerful passage. If you go through the rest of it, it tells you about things associated with the Great Tribulation. It tells you about the people that will be after the Great Tribulation. And probably the biggest example that we'll have of God's uh, restoration, of God's uh, compassion and loving kindness toward us, will be demonstrated as the Tribulation saints go through the Great Trib. Because we'll be in a world that will be completely set against us. And when we see that we survive, we endure, we make it through that, we'll see the direct evidence of God's uh, loving kindness. We'll see the direct evidence of his grace, of his provision, his salvation, his deliverance. We'll see those things in a very dramatic fashion. And particularly this verse speaks of when darkness has come over the whole earth, you will have light where you're at. Uh, the contrast of light and darkness is, is profound. And basically God's provision and, provision and protection is like light, whereas the tribulation is like darkness. And there's a tremendous contrast. Now, we come to the final uh, Hoftor of Consolation. And so after all of that, what is now going to be our response? And that's where it takes us to Isaiah 61, verse 10, where it says... I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. Uh, and that's the most profound and the strongest words that you can use that says, you and I are going to rejoice. We are, we are going to be so happy. You know, uh, Ephraim's portion that he read to it says, I, the Lord, will rejoice over you in that day. Well, we will rejoice over the Lord. Everybody will be rejoicing. Uh, I always share this one thing about trying to show you the emphasis of what the word rejoice means there. Uh, it's more than you're going to enjoy it. It's more than, well, I'll be happy with it. Or I'll be contented or satisfied. It, it's way more than that. Uh, and it goes back to the very nature of when laughter occurs, why do... Why do we laugh when we do? And what it is, is that it is your brain, if it sees too sharp of a contrast from something that's going along and then suddenly it rapidly changes. The, the case in point is a man walking down the street, he steps on a banana peel, suddenly his feet are in the air and he falls down on his keister. And guess what we do? We laugh. And the reason we laugh is because we were accustomed to him walking when suddenly everything changes so dramatically and he's in an awkward situation and, and, and it's just, if you stop and think about that, who in the world in their right man would laugh at a man who just slipped on a banana peel and fell on his rear? I mean, I'm of the age, and you, some of the audience uh, joined me. If we slip on a banana peel and we fall, there is nothing to laugh about. Are you with me? Okay. But the laughter that we're talking about, the mechanism laughter, is that you're going along and you don't expect what is happening. Uh, 
and then suddenly it happens. Uh, maybe I should have used the example of uh, America's Funniest Videos. Some of the stuff, you're, you're seeing something, and then suddenly something changes so dramatically that you, you laugh. Uh, and, and it's usually people getting hurt, <laughs> as I recall. Um, it turns out that in our brains that we can't process the change quick enough. And it's literally, if I could use this word picture, it's like the gears and your brain have to disengage, they have to free spin for a little bit before they can sink back into the position where they're at. And that chuckling of the gears is the chuckle of laughter. Your brain just can't process it fast enough, so you chuckle. <laughs> you know, and, and then you go into a roaring laughter when it really gets you. Well, the rejoicing that it's talking about here is referring to uncontrolled laughter that the change we'll go through will be so dramatic that the only thing that we can do is laugh, and, and we call it rejoicing, but it, it's laughing and laughing and, and, and because we're so happy and, and the contrast is so great. And believe you me, coming out of this world, the end of the ages, and suddenly stepping into the messianic kingdom with the Messiah, I assure you it will be a dramatic change. A change so great that the only thing that you can do is rejoice and exult God and 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 laugh. I personally believe um, that when we get to the Messianic Kingdom, I think it's going to take a couple of weeks of just sheer laughter just to try to make the adjustment. I think that that Feast of Tabernacles that we'll observe first in the kingdom, I mean, we thoroughly enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles. By the way, it is the feast that has the double commandment to rejoice before the Lord. I think then we really will fulfill the commandment. We will rejoice before the Lord. And the Lord will rejoice before us. Um, have you ever seen the scene of, um, uh, I'll take the example of some soldiers. Uh, who who are in a, a tremendous fight, and maybe some of them have been separated, and 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 uh, great trauma, great concern for one. But suddenly the battle is over, and the soldiers emerge, and suddenly they see that their friends made it. And again, I'm sure you've seen movie scenes and other things where they come up and they rejoicely hug each other, knocking the dust off, and they're crying and happy and so forth to see one another, and they made it, and, and they're, they're safe now, and all of that. That's the first, uh, first celebration of uh, the Messiah's kingdom. We made it. We died back there, but now we've risen. We're alive. We have our new bodies. Uh, we're, we're all of the reasons in the world to rejoice. Um, and so it says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. Now, the passage goes on to say, and there's some very fascinating words here. And in fact, as I read some of them, you're going to recognize some of these phrases and terms that are used in the New Testament. Uh, because this message... This great message here, uh, Paul made reference to it. The other apostles made reference to it, uh, particularly some of the phrases uh, to try to communicate 
what was going to be happening in the future, what are the things the Messiah has done for us and what it's going to lead to. It goes on to say, verse 10, the second half, For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Do you remember in the book of Revelation when it talks about when the Messiah shows up that we put on dawn robes of righteousness? This is where it comes from. This rejoicing is, well, not only do we have a new body, we have new apparel to wear. You know, I'm going to get my new body. I'm not going to be walking around in, in this thing. I'm going to get a new apparel that goes with it as well. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all of the nations. This is a very interesting word picture that is being used here. There's two of them. One is the whole idea of, of a young couple when they get married. Um, the I don't know if you've known this, but I've been around a lot of weddings, and it's always amazing to me. And when I see it, it testifies to me of this verse. You'll see the guy who, you know, and I get to do a lot of premarital counseling, you'll see the guy come in, and he, you know, he looks like he's barely made man yet. I mean, he looks like a boy, you know. He's like a kid to me. You know, he's young. I mean, he's, you know, everything is still brand new, you know, in his body. And the gal will come in, and she's just as cute as can possibly be. And um, you can understand why her father's still highly protective of her, you know, because of her youthfulness and so forth. They will get dressed up to get married, and they'll come into the wedding ceremony, putting their best attire on and all of the adornments that are associated with the wedding, from the tuxedos to the outfits to getting their hair styled to the bride and all the special things that she does for herself, not the least of which is makeup and a perfect dress and, and everything that goes with it. And they'll come walking into the ceremony, and that guy's like the most handsome guy in the world. And she's like the most beautiful woman in the world. I mean, it's just... Here just recently, we had a young couple that got married. I didn't get to, get to go to the ceremony, but I did get to see the pictures. I saw the pictures of these, this couple, and I, I've known them from their youth. And I'm looking at it, and literally, I had to zoom in. I said, that's them? Because the two of them together, they were gorgeous. They were incredibly handsome and beautiful, you know, and the, the, the picturesque scene was just, it was so special and, and so delightful. Well, here's what it says of us when we first come to the kingdom, when we first enter into the kingdom. It says that we become like a bridegroom who decks himself out with a, with a crown, a garland, and like a bride that adorns herself with jewels and all the precious things you know that are associated with her like that that's how we'll be when we enter the kingdom i mean that's incredible you know i uh, i'll have a confession to you know i'm i'm at the age now where uh, I, there's parts of my body i don't like anymore 
Um, I don't like the way um, I stand up and I can't. Uh, I'm not strong enough like I used to be. Um, that, uh, you know, I'm, I've got diabetes, so I have to take my insulin and so forth for it. Um, I'll get aches and pains. If I lay down in kind of the wrong position, I get up and I have to get my shoulder and arm to work again. Uh, get up in the morning, you're not so steady. You know, you got to, like, you know. That's not fun. Let me let me just tell you that, and to some extent, it's it's working through a series of aches and pains uh, before you can get to the point where you can just kind of start to put a smile on your face, and and it's our bodies are wearing out. It, it, it's because of all of the wear and tear, you know, that's on us. And to tell you the truth, I am so looking forward to getting this new body the Lord's going to give me. And that I can go and do whatever I want, and it doesn't hurt anymore. It's It feels good all the time. You know, to run and not be weary, and to not struggle. And so the contrast is going to be very great. I'm probably going to be laughing for a couple of weeks over, you know, how my shoulders work again and my legs work again. Um, he goes on to say further, For as the earth brings forth its sprouts... And as the garden causes the things sown in to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before the nations. The picture that's really being spoken of here is that we take a seed. You know, the seed is a product of the plant before, the fruit before, and the fruit was either consumed or used or spoiled or whatever, but the seed came out of it. And the seed, the best seed, they just dry up. And in fact, they look as dead as the plant that gave birth to them. And they look dead. You know what we do with dead things? We bury them. So you take this seed, you bury it in the ground. Give it back to the earth again. But something incredible happens. Life starts again. It's the temperature, it's, it's the moisture, it's, it's, it's something. And life begins again in that seed. And when the seed sprouts, it kind of pushes the dry hole away. And the thing comes up, breaks through the ground, gets to the sunlight, puts its first leaf out, and it begins to grow and establish roots and it becomes a stronger plant, and it gets more leaves. And next thing you know, here comes the cycle. We have a very strong plant, and as a result, we have more flowers. We have the fruit is born, and, and that whole cycle is an incredible picture of us, the life cycle we have. When we're first born, we're born of seed. And we come forth, and we're little babies, and we can't, can't do a thing for ourselves. But people nourish us and care for us, and finally we begin to grow, and we, instead of being a little sprout, why we uh, become a kid, and, and uh, we continue to grow until we come to adulthood, and then we bear fruit. We also, you know, uh, multiply. And then there comes a point at the end of our mortal life where we, we die, but those that we gave seed to, they live, and they continue on. And um, 
God uses that picture, not only of us, but of the natural plants, to say that there's some things that God started here in the beginning, and the things he started in the beginning were righteousness and justice, and some of those things, quite honestly, in the world we're at, have died. Well, and everybody wants to just cast them down into the dirt. <laughs> well, that plays right into God's plan. Because he can take that stuff cast down into the dirt and have it sprout out with new life. And that's part of what the Messianic kingdom is. He, he, he sprouts out with new life. So that righteousness and justice spring up in the whole world, in his kingdom. I am truly looking forward to the day when when all of this will take place. Now, uh, let me go just one other thought on this. You know, I really believe that, like me, there's a lot of other people in the world, they would like to see things like that happen too. But the problem that we as men always do uh, when we try to do this ourselves is that we want to separate righteousness from justice. And there's a moment when we want to use justice on a situation and there's no righteousness in it and it doesn't work out. Or we'll try to do righteousness but there's no justice in it and that doesn't work out either. It's it, you got to let God do those two. By the way, going back to the um, teaching that we had a couple of weeks ago on Shof Team, one of the things that we emphasize with you, the Hebrew word for righteousness is virtually the same word for justice. It's virtually the same word. And, and it is said, you know, in the scripture that righteousness has kissed justice. Righteousness and justice are intimate friends that you can't separate them. They're like an item, you know, like a couple. And if you separate them, you just got trouble. Um, and that's the world that we live in. There's people who want righteousness, and there's people in here who want justice. Not everybody's evil, but when they try to seek righteousness or justice and they don't do it God's way, it never works out. And as a result, there's no righteousness and there's no justice. And along the way, loving kindness you know, goes away. So there's no love. And that is what the dynamic has been when God, excuse me, when the people of God won't do what he says. Then wherever they live, that's, they suffer these things. They get cast out of the land in the nations. If those nations won't seek God, this is what happens to them. I personally believe that, that, that this is boiling down to the very essence of the issues that are going on in the world today. We've got everything so flipped upside down and backwards and inside out that we can't find anything. Uh, let me take the example that's just happening in the news right now. Um, <clears throat> it's this thing called DACA. It's this thing about, uh, you know, uh, allowing a path of citizenship and no, no deportation to these kids that were brought by their parents into the country. They weren't, they weren't legal to come in the country. They didn't have citizenship. And they're not citizens, but 
But they've grown up in this country. All they've ever known is living in this country. And some of these people are adults, young adults and professionals and working in jobs. And, and so uh, President Obama, by executive action, not because there's a law that says that he decided to just direct the Immigration Naturalization Service not to prosecute those people, not to uh, deport them, and so that they could just hang around. Is that a law? No. It was an executive order, which can be changed by the next executive. And by the way, here comes President Trump, and he says, we're going to cancel that in six months. Why did he say six months? He's telling the Congress, you need to make a law. Make a law for this. And by the way, every legal scholar says that what President Obama did was unconstitutional. That he should never have done it. He'd never had the authority or right to do it. So now everybody's getting upset. Oh, how dare us uh, threaten these people to deport them. They've never lived in the other country. They've always lived here. It's like kicking them out of the country, and, and they, they think that uh, it's a terrible, heartless thing that's going on. You know what they really are believing in? They're believing in righteousness. They want to do the right thing by this person. But they're doing it without justice. They're doing it without the law to support it. And as a result, all they've done is caused a greater calamity than we had to begin with. That's righteousness without justice. Now, we've got some hardliners. They want to do the justice thing with no righteousness whatsoever. You know? That's like the, the, the temperament of shoot them first and then we'll sort it out later. You know, that's justice that's uncontrolled. And that's not a solution. And that's a calamity in its own self. What we're looking for is the balance. But you know what? In the country that we live in, our legislative group, the Congress, they're so inept because they departed from righteousness and justice a long time ago, that they literally have rendered themselves inept in everything they're attempting to do. I'll tell you who's going to take this country down. The Congress of the United States of America is destroying this country faster than any judge, any president, or any so-called group in this country because they have bogged the works down to where nothing works. When I read this passage, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all of the nations. I can tell you right now, step number one, he will eliminate the Congress. He will get men who are inept out of the way so that he can set it up so it makes sense for everybody instead of just making sense for one or two. And that's the reason why the Congress can't do anything. They represent special interests so they can never find the common good for the, all the people. They're always sticking to their guns for their own personal interests and to maintain and keep their office. That's all they're doing. And so as a result, we are suffering uh, from it. Now, this being the final portion of the Hoftor as a Consolation, there's kind of an epilogue 
to this whole teaching, which helps to summarize it and give you a full perspective of what it is we've been going through. And that is following very shortly over to Isaiah chapter 63. Go with me there, please. Isaiah 63, beginning at verse 7 through 14. Seven verses. I want to read these to you. And this is speaking to, this is the end result. The the whole sermon, this is the end result for it. I shall make mention of the loving kindness of the Lord The praises of the Lord. I will make mention of how kind God is. According to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion and according to the multitudes of his loving kindnesses. For he said, surely they are my people. Some who will not deal falsely, So he became their savior. And in all of their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. You know who the angel of the presence is, don't you? The Mashiach. The messenger of God's actual presence is the Mashiach. And in his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. And he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned himself to become their enemy. He fought against them. Then his people remembered the days of old of Moses. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea and the shepherds of the flock? Where is he who put the Holy Spirit in the midst of them? who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths, like the horse in the wilderness that did they did not stumble. As the cattle which go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So did they, thou lead thy people, so didst thou lead thy people to make for thyself a glorious name. All that has been going on, this whole sermon of comfort the people, I don't feel comforted, I feel forsaken, I feel forgotten, and then the Lord says, I will establish you, I will save you, I will redeem you, um, and bring you back and gather you back, and then you will greatly rejoice before me. It's kind of summed up in this passage, and it, but in particular, this passage is very profound for us today. And as Ephraim was sharing you with Nitzavim, it is timeless. It goes all the way to this generation. This passage is especially for those after we've received the Messiah. Because it emphasizes what the Messiah has really done for us in this whole process. And here we said today, and as messianic believers, guess what it is that we're really doing? We are turning back to the teaching of Moses, and we're asking the question. Now, I know that Moses spoke of a God back in his day that opened the Red Sea and delivered the people out of Egypt. You know, let's see. I have the Messiah, but where's that God that did that? Where's the God 
who opened the Red Sea. Because we're living in the days, my friends, going to church and singing some hymns about the Messiah is not going to deliver you from the Great Tribulation. It's not going to do it. What's going to do it is that we need the God who brought the entire children of Israel out of Egypt and opened the Red Sea and we escaped Pharaoh's chariots. We need that God. That's the God we're going to have to have in these days to make it. And by the way, shock of shocks. It turns out that that Mashiach, that Messiah that we've been worshiping, he is that God. But we never credit him, him with that. We didn't. We weren't taught that he was that God. We, we thought there was a God here, God the Father, and then here's God the Son, and we separated him out, and we and and so forth. And I'm telling you, as a messianic believer, when you come back and you ask the question, "Where is the God that led us through the depths of the sea?" Let me tell you what the answer is. It's Yeshua of Nazareth. The Messiah, the Son of God. He's the angel of the presence. He's the one that's going to do it. He did it then. He's the one that did the redemption. And he's the one that's going to restore all things. And he's going to be the one that delivers us in the days that we live. So, turning back to Moses has just made us smarter about who God is and about his great plan. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the Hoftors of Consolation as we complete them. And we look forward to now the season of the holidays and observing trumpets and atonement and tabernacles as we conclude the teachings of the Torah and the last discourse of Moses as he teaches us how to walk and live before you. Thank you for all of these things, Lord, and we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. And now we leave you with the ironic blessing. and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.
Stop the 